sometimes I feel like my only friend is the city I live in, the city of angels, lonely as I am. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Doghouse with Adam and Jimmy. I'm Adam Campbell. Welcome in my friend, Jimmy Rogers. Hey, Adam, man, it's good good to be back. Man, I missed a week. Uh, last week just had way too much going on, and I hated it. I missed it. And dag on, what a, what a great podcast y'all done. I really I enjoyed that myself. I, I got to listen to it like everybody else did and, uh, and loved it. So, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad to be back. I hate I missed, but uh, just sometimes being a dog trainer, like we all know, got a lot going on. It's that time of year for me. That's right. It's busy, and you, you're you not here with me, so you can't hear my intro song, but it was for you tonight, yes. brother. It was uh, red, oh, yeah. red Hot Chili Peppers under the bridge, you know. Sometimes I feel like <laughs> I don't have a partner. <laughs> I love it, man. It's one of my all-time favorites, I promise you. It's on my playlist, I assure you. Uh, but that was for you, bud. I missed you last Thank week. Thank you, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. Like I say, I, I'm so, so happy to be back and I'm going to try my best. I, I got in another master test night. I had all my master runs this time of year up North. So, uh, getting ready to head that way here in a few days and, yep. uh, just, just glad to get them dogs in. I know it's, it's tough right now on a lot of people, but I've been blessed. I, I've right. been fast and got, got them entered. So, well, I, we kind of, our schedules don't line up, you know, as far as how you do things and I do things and that matters, but I finished up at Red Hills this last weekend, got master title on Koi, um, and titled another dog. So that qualifies me all up, all the guys that I want to qualify. So we're looking at thirteen or fourteen. Who knows who all is going to go? But that's what we're looking at. So no, I'm uh, yes, sir, I'm just getting started on some of mine, and then I've you know got two, just a little over two months to go. So I've got passes on everybody that's like to go two or three, but I still got to get them done. I was in Michigan. Uh, and that's what I was getting ready for, getting cleaned up, everything loaded last week for the Michigan run. Uh, had a good run up there, 10 out of 14. Uh, had a couple of dogs break and uh, lost one of the marks and one got hung up on a, on a blind. So, But it, the dogs looked good. I was real pleased with them. My training right. taken off. And I was tickled with that. I got you. I got you. Yes, sir. Um, you're, you're a little choppy. I don't know if you moved or, or did something like that. But um, anyway... Let's talk about about our good sponsor, Sullivan Motors, over in Collins, Mississippi, Jim. Yes, sir, man. If you're looking for a Chevrolet truck, those are the that's the go-to guys. Oh man, they're they're the best in the business. Fantastic folks, great product. Blake Sullivan will deliver it. So give those guys a call if you're in the market. BS delivers. Absolutely. So, um, yes, back by popular demand. Um, Lauren Langevin is back with us tonight. Lauren, welcome again, my friend. Uh, the first ever repeat back-to-back guest. What do you think about that, big guy? Wow, that's something, isn't it? Eh? Maybe they're feeling sorry for us Canadians up here, for crying out loud, not being able to get across the border. <laughs> but uh, They missed the accents. <laughs> <laughs> put, put it this way. It wasn't that for the lack of trying, but there was just no way that they would let us across, you know. And uh, so uh, it was my first winter, actually, up here in 25 years. And uh, when somebody says that it was an easy winter and I'm out there training in two feet of snow, 
I figured that some of these guys have had their brains removed, tell you the honest truth. But then some of the people thought I had my brain removed by going out and training in that type of weather. So <laughs> all I can simply say is that when you made a line for your T-pattern with your snowmobile or your snowblower, there was no deviation. There was no having to correct because the dogs weren't running on the line. They went down straight as a, you know. No flaring. So no flaring at all. So that was one of the good parts about it. <laughs> Back, felt but, like it was uh, back in the Richard Walters days with the mo pads, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You remember so that now book? Our, it's older than you are. Our, yeah, our weather has actually warmed up a little bit, so we managed to get on into water here for the last two weeks. And uh, to give you a little bit of an idea up here, it was uh, it was eighty two degrees yesterday. Today it was sixty degrees. Tomorrow, it's supposed to be 50 degrees, and then on the weekend, we're going down to just above freezing. So it gives you a little bit of an idea that up here, uh, it's a little bit different than down there. We do not have the overheated uh, days, other than maybe July or something, but um, at this time of the year, don't brag about beautiful weather because tomorrow it might snow. And this is a situation that we're into right now. So I don't know what these dogs are going to do. As they say in good old language, they don't know whether to shed a coat, grow a coat, or whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Well, I, I, I was in Michigan this weekend, which is, you know, for me, that's about eight hours north of where I am. And it was warm up there. It was it was in the mid to upper 80s. And actually, even a little humidity come in. You know, it was, yep. it was summertime in Michigan. Who are you up there visiting the Michigan governor? Yeah, yeah, we're talking about COVID <laughs> uh, relief up there. <laughs> yeah, COVID yeah. yes, the one that just put our gas up to five dollars a gallon because she wanted to cut off a pipeline for us. You know, oh. in situation. we we still drive cars up here. You know, we got we threw out our horse and buggies there a couple of years ago. We got cars up here. <laughs> Oh, yes, sir. that's funny. That's funny. Anyway, well, it's the situation. Well, uh, tonight, I, I know, Adam, uh, you lead the parade on this, and you gave me a little bit of an insight uh, before we started here. Uh, and also, uh, I was thinking about it since you called me last night, is the fact that there was so much, you might say, that wasn't clear to me when I started out, and even when I was in the game, as to how to introduce and what do you do to make a dog a good water dog, okay? And we're talking about a dog that wants to retrieve that's got prey drive. And even if they don't have a whole pile of prey drive, they still make an excellent hunting dog. And they sometimes make an excellent, excellent uh, hunt test dog on the basis that they run at the same speed as maybe a new fellow starting to handle. So there's no disgrace in that. And in a roundabout way, you get to be my age, sometimes you like to have a dog that runs at half speed on a blind instead of a dog that runs at full speed, because I'm a little slower. So uh, it, as long as you have a dog that just has a desire to retrieve, I think that there is a much better way of introducing a dog to water in much more detail, okay, than I was privy to when I started out, because everything was force, force, force. And today, it's definitely just the opposite. There is force involved, but I have a, a thing that I say to my people when they come in, what is the idea of the force? Do we force them so much that we make them get so they don't want to go? Or is it a situation that we introduce a little bit of force so that if we have to use it as a later date, 
It's not strange to them. And that is one of the things that I find is very, very important with young dogs of today. Some of them get forced into the ground and some of them do not get enough force. They have absolutely no respect. So if we want to cover a little bit of that, you know, tonight, uh, I think it'll help out a few of your listeners as to what to do, how to do it. How can we turn around and train 20 dogs in one day? Okay. And they only have one dog to train. So maybe they go out and they train it 20 times too much. This is a thing that I used to do when I was back younger. I used to go out with a dog at nine o'clock in the morning. And sometimes I'd be just pulling in the house at six o'clock. That poor dog was so dead to the world. He didn't want to get up the next morning. Okay. And I know how he feels now because at my age, some mornings, I don't feel like getting up anymore when I overwork. And I, I portray that back to the dog. So if you fellows are interested, Jimmy, I'd like to ask you, yes, sir. At, at, what, at what stage do you start saying it's time for me to go and force the dog on water? Okay, so at, at, up to this point, what I've been doing is I take the dog through the T. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, uh, get them through the discipline casting, and I mm-hmm. once that's done, and they're they're pretty much not always completely done with the tea. A lot of times, I'll do a little tea, and my swim by pond is right next to my tea field, which I like, right. so I can kind of get them warmed up. I'll take them mm-hmm. over, and I'll introduce the pile. I'll do that for a couple of days. I'll back off the water, not a lot, but a few yards, and that's where yeah. I'll do a de- a day or two of back nick back to the water right there. Mm-hmm. Right on. And that, okay. So that that's the stage I usually do it at. Age wise, just quarter of the dog. Most of them would be right around that eight, you know, nine nine to ten month mark. Yeah. And that's pretty. That's pretty much the same thing as I do. On this idea, on the force of the water, when I finish with the tea, and I spend an exceptional amount of time on tea. Okay. I can remember listening. I think it was Jim Van Hagen that made a comment once upon a time when I was over listening on a conversation or listening to a video or something, and. Uh, he made a comment that he tried to put the dogs off the tee when they were 90% efficient. Okay. And I go with 90% and up now. Uh, I teach them to handle on the tee. Okay. So it takes us an excessive amount of time. You might say some dogs, some dogs, uh, you'll find out that you say, Oh God, he's ready after two weeks. And the first thing you know, he falls apart a week later, but that's pretty much the same thing. I go to force on the water. Okay. I will try, depending again, as you say, depends a little bit on the dog, but I will give him, you might say, introduction to the pile on water for a day. Okay. Some dogs, I might introduce it, uh, you might say, the entry into the water by throwing bumpers to the pile. So it almost ends up being a happy bumper. And then I go to my force. And I do not spend a lot of time forcing on water. I used to spend three days, four days forcing on water. I used to uh, hold the button down until the dog's front feet hit the water. Uh, All of those things was fine and dandy, you might say, for the renegade dog, the high-powered dog that would go through fire. But then all of a sudden you ran into a smart dog that said, whoa, this isn't my liking, you know. And so instead of saying, Lauren, you did it wrong, I used to say the dog's no good. That was a very easy thing to get out of. Blame it on the dog. Blame it on the dog. Well, after you've been around a little while, you say, well, this dog doesn't absolutely need that. I do also 
you might, the, the Nick water, Nick, if I can get backed up, say 10, 15, 20 feet, depending, um, I might nick it a couple of times to get in the water. As soon as it gets in the water, I no longer put any force on it. I used to nick it all the way across the pond. So the only thing that I would guess I was teaching it was uh, some of them swim a little faster. But then I would be into dogs that made big bananas and didn't want to go back to the pile and everything like that. So I have taken the force on water out of my vocabulary. I force into the water. Okay. And, uh, I just find that I have a little bit more success. I do. I don't have to do quite as much yelling and screaming and kicking and swearing. Uh, and the average amateur, maybe, uh, it takes out, uh, makes it a little easier to him. Put your collar. You might say, if you want just Nick, uh, I met Jimmy and, uh, and, uh, the people that are around, uh, they can push their button with their finger creating a nick some people have a tendency to say i need a little bit of help so you put your collar on momentum and you can push it down nick nick okay the dog hits the water bango there's no more pressure and uh it's it's a situation if they do get into the water uh and they turn around and they look at me or something like that at this particular time i only say back to them in the water because part of my force is also done when the dog is facing me. And I say, back, Nick. Now, the biggest thing about this is how many times do you do it in one of your training sessions? Do you sit there and burn him every time? Do you sit there and burn him two or three times? Or do you burn him maybe five or six times out of, depending how big your pond is, out of maybe... Uh, 15, 16, or 17 sends. And I use uh, the motto, I send the dog on three Phoebes, one Nick. Three Phoebes, one Nick. Three Phoebes, one Nick. Okay, I don't overdo it. Because I used to get myself into, and I know a lot of people still do, get themselves into a lot of problems on water. And then what happens is they, they quit doing it so they have left the dog partially untrained or totally afraid of water and that is the reason why that i take it now very easy around water we do not have to have these dogs jumping halfway across the pond we don't have have to have them you might say looking at their toenails and stuff like this before every time you go to send them and a lot of that toenail looking as i call it is created by the fact that they know they're going to get forced. And so that is my method of doing it. And I can honestly say that it makes, a, it, it's much, much easier on me and it's much, much easier on the dog. Okay. And so I will do that for, I would say maybe three days, four days maximum. Okay. And then I say, okay. Then I have to get into the old stop situation. And if you don't mind me telling you the way I do that, the thing of it is you do not want the dog, okay, to give you that slow turn on the water and then starting to tread sideways, you know, and most of them will turn to the right. Don't ask me why, but they do. And they're, you know, they're real anxious. They're panting almost because, God, they're waiting for that back to get to the other pile. I do it with a happy bumper. I blow, I blow the whistle, 
I throw the bumper, hoping that it's going to hit the water just as that dog turns around. And I have that dog. He doesn't have a chance to go sideways. He has to tread water. And he stops on the water because he's looking for that bumper that's going to come back. And I can guarantee you that you take 99.7% of the dogs, they will turn and they will be glued on you when you blow that whistle. After a day or two of throwing a happy, I call it a happy bumper, in the water. Sometimes you hit them on the head. Sometimes it falls six inches in front of their nose, which is basically perfect. Okay. But they really start spinning around fairly quickly. And I do not have to start burning this dog in order to get him to stop. Go nugget. Okay. That's yeah. Yeah. If you didn't hear that back up and listen to that one more time, sorry to interrupt Lauren, but that's awesome. Thank you. So Lauren, you time, you time that. So the bumper leaves your hand about the time you blow the whistle and hopefully they spin around and it splashes right in front of them. Yeah, but it's not, Adam, I used to say that. I used to have people throwing the bumper for me, get into a domestic with my wife because she didn't throw it at the right time. It doesn't matter. <laughs> as long as that they, as long as that they know, you know, that the bumper is coming they will turn around because they'll be glued on you too. They'll be just waiting, you know? And so you can play with that. Now, all of a sudden they're turning around really quickly. I'm not throwing the bumper anymore. Okay. And now I'm giving them a back cast. Okay. And I will say back. And I, if they don't want to go to the pile, I will try and almost throw a bumper onto the pile. Now I can honestly assure you that I do not think that Mike Lardy or Pat Burns or those people had to use those methods, but the poor amateur that is sitting there pulling his hair out saying, Oh my God, I'm in a big problem. My dog doesn't stop. My dog's doing this. My dog's doing that. And when he asks his buddy, you know, at the Dunkin' Donut shop, when he's having his coffee and his buddy is going to turn around and say to him, pour it to him, boy, pour it to him. (laughs) And that is basically drown him. As we say, you know, it's a situation in which I have seen instances going back 35 years ago with a friend of mine forcing a dog in the water that didn't want to go in the water. And one of the fellas picked the dog up. Thank God he wasn't too heavy, but this guy was pretty brawny and he threw the dog into the water, you know, and I'm standing back there and I say, geez, that's good. I wonder if what, at what time did he burn him? Did he burn him when he was in the air or did he burn him when he hit the water? Okay. And so that didn't work out very well because the dog just turned around and came back. Well, The other friend of mine, okay, that was there, who was a pretty experienced dog trailer, trailer. he'd never had a field trial champion, he'd never had a master hunter, he'd never had anything, but he was successful because he used to tell us that he was very successful. And we tied a rope to that dog, and Jimmy used to have an S10 Chevrolet, but it was only a four-cylinder, it wasn't a six-cylinder or an eight-cylinder, so thank God. And we put the rope on around his back bumper and we had it tied to the dog collar. And when I was the one that was elected to be the leader and when I yelled go, Keith was to yell back and Jimmy floored his S10. And that dog went across the water like a torpedo. Okay. Now the only thing that happened is that this dog, whenever he looked at water, he would run the other way. 
He didn't want to have anything to do with it. And whenever he saw a blue S10, he used to want to bit, bit bite the shit out of the owner. You know, and I'm not kidding you. That was our, that was what we thought was going to be the right way. You know, until somebody that had a little more knowledge than us. So now all of that relates back to some of the other things that I have heard people do to force dogs. Okay. For, you have to force them in front. You have to force them in back. You have to force them sideways. You size. No, you don't. It's a tool. It's a, actually think about it as a little bit of a continuation of the collar conditioning. Okay. The dog is going to react in the proper fashion to get himself out of trouble. So why do we keep pouring it to them? And if anybody wants to say, no, it doesn't work that way. Okay. Please tell me their method because maybe it's better than mine. You know, I'm always interested in hearing new methods and stuff like that. But the minute that you turn around and somebody suggests put more pressure. Okay. I'm always skeptical about it, but you have to put enough. You have to put enough, but you can put a lot of pressure not forcing the dog on the water. I say to my people, do us an excessive amount of obedience, have a pinch collar on the dog. So you don't have to yank his neck off. Do a lot of obedience every morning with your dog, do five minutes of obedience, sit here, heel, push, pull, anything like that, get him listening. And then the other main objective it is you want to do some obedience. I do obedience twice a day with every dog that I run. I do obedience on the way to the line and I do obedience on the way back from the line. I do not let my dog, because he just had a great test, jump up in the air, chase my rubber glove, uh, grab a bumper off the pile or anything. No, you're going to walk back to the truck or to the tie out with me at heel under proper, you might say, conditions. Now, if I have a dog that you might say is not actually that peppy and and does it i'm a little bit looser with it but if you get a dog a lot of dogs will come off the line after having run a test they can feel it in the voice of the handler good boy thank you very much now i'm happy i'm gonna go home i'm gonna see my wife you know and the dog picks up on that you know you can turn around and say that type say something to the dog but if you yell you are the greatest dog in the world and you make it threatening He's going to cow away. So it's a tone of voice that he picks up on. It's always the So that's the way the I voice. tell my clients, yep, I do obedience twice a day. I did a set of marks today, and I did obedience twice on the way to the line and on the way back to the line. Right. Okay, back to the truck. So those are important things onto it. Now, again, um, and I presume, I know, Adam, I've seen you. I see how much success that you have at the hunt test level. And I see your dogs, they're capable of running open uh, tripe uh, conditions and everything like that. I know you're severe on obedience. I shouldn't use the word severe. You you actually do it, and you do it in a proper fashion. And I pre- presume, Jimmy, that you also demand, if you have a bunch of dogs, you have to have some obedience around there. You know? Oh, yes, um, sir. You have to. But the average, I shouldn't say the average, but a lot of amateurs are so afraid to get their dog under obedience because the old philosophy, when I was younger, people used to say, eh, if you steady him down too soon, he won't be a good marker. And so nowadays you ask me, when do you start steadying a dog? I start steadying a dog when he's seven weeks old, as soon as I pick him up. Okay. Now I don't have a collar onto him, 
but I don't let him jump all over the place and run around and, and, and act the, act the ass. And then all of a sudden say, well, today's a magic day. As I said last week, the magic day, you've been jumping around for six months. Now today you're no longer allowed to jump around because, uh, they don't understand that when you tell them that today is the day that they're a reckoning day. So right at the beginning, I don't hold a dog by his two front feet and it's, you know, he's standing up straight and I spring load him when somebody throws a six foot bumper for him and he runs out there and he picks it up. You don't have to do that. I, I, I try to hold him between my legs and hold him there. And you know, he, he's not to move and he will get better and better and better at it. You don't, you don't have to beat him up to it. You just more or less show him that he's not supposed to move, you know? And so, um, that's a little bit off the topic of water, but I mean to say it makes life a lot easier. It makes a life a lot easier for you than when that eight month dog comes in here to be trained. Okay. And, um, he's just been used to running wild and he can't, he's not steady. Or even another thing that's very difficult is the guy sends you in the three-year-old dog. That's a habitual breaker. And I used to say, yeah, well, I'll take that out of him on the line. Next time I throw, I'm going to throw a couple of breaking marks for him and I'm going to, I, you know, whoop his ass. As we say, I don't do that anymore. When the guy sends me in a dog like that for obedience and he phones me at the end of a week, how's he doing? He's doing good. Is he breaking? I don't know. I haven't thrown a mark for him. What do you mean? I haven't thrown a mark. No, I'm just doing obedience. I'm trying to catch him in every possible way. Get on the truck, but sit before you get on the truck. Don't move to get on the truck until I tell you. Don't come out of the truck until I tell you. I do walking around with you. I say sit. I continue walking. You better stay sit. I didn't tell you to follow me. And I do all of that now before I risk going back to the old idea. I want to throw marks for him. Now, in my younger day, I was afraid that the client would say, what do you mean? You've had the dog for a week and a half, two weeks. You haven't thrown a mark for him and I'm paying you money. And now... I realized that I was doing it all wrong. I explained to the people, he might not get a mark for a couple of days, a, a week. He might not get a mark for two weeks because the sit and stay steady is going to be so ingrained into him. It's unbelievable. Okay. Now, when we're going on the force on the water, some people will turn around and they'll be forcing the dog. And then we get into the habit that the dog breaks. Okay. And what do we do then? We've just forced him and the dog breaks. So what do we do? We yell sit and we burn and the dog continues to go. Do you blame the dog? He's had one day, two day of force. And now he's so anxious. Your force was so good. He leaves before he's told. Okay. So what I do, if I'm suspecting that I always have a little 12 inch check cord on him and I hold him there. Okay. And I give him the two words, dead bird, way back, whatever you want to say, you know, and I will say it in maybe a little bit of an enticing fashion because I don't want him to leave until I say the word back. So I will say, <clears throat> or anything like that, but I don't want him to break. I'm not testing him. I'm showing him that the only word that he should leave on is the word back. Okay. And that was another thing that I've seen some people turn around, forcing their dog. The dog is so well-forced and so smart that he takes off before. If you miss the opportunity, let him go. 
Okay. We're not trying to steady the dog. We're trying to force the dog. You can't stop okay? him or burn him for going at that point. You can't, but mm. some people do. And so the first thing you know, they're burning for sit, they're burning for go. And now the dog is sitting there. And the worst part about it, the high powered dog is not going to turn around and fold on you. He's just going to go that much faster. No doubt. When you say the word sit or when you yell, no, here, he's just going to keep on going. And then you're going to say, my God, this dog has got bad ears or something, or he's so wild. He just doesn't, uh, he doesn't pay any attention to me. That's if you have a dog that's too wild, give him the honest, give him a chance, take him back into obedience. Don't go out with your friends on a Saturday morning and throw three sets, big setups in, you know, interacting birds and stuff like that. Go in and do some obedience with yourself or grab a couple of buddies and say, Hey, how about if we have one morning here and we're just going to do obedience and see how many people you have show up at your yard. The only way you can do it is tell them you got a free case of beer there. You might get a couple of guys stop in. But I mean to say, you know, obedience, obedience, obedience. It took me 15 years to talk like that. And now that's the first word that comes out of my mouth. Obedience, obedience, obedience. They never seem to have enough. But again, my obedience does not mean burning the heck out of them with an electric shock collar. It means getting him so used to listening to me that I'm going to have a chance with him when he's out in the field. Okay. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. A so chance. A now, chance, you said. <laughs> right on. Exactly. So what, what now, about going back to the water, Lauren, so you got him forced, yep. you got him stopping, swim by now? Yep. Yep. Now I go, I go into a T pattern, okay, on the water. I do a T pattern, but – I want him to exit and swim across the pond and exit at the position where um, I'm when I do my swim by. So I send him, I cast him to the left or cast him to the right. Okay. I might end up throwing a bumper for him when I say over and throwing a bumper on that little pile. If you have the ideal uh, pond. Okay. And then I walk around when he's, you know, going over there and he's going to, he's, he's got a bumper in his mouth or he's going to be picking up a bumper, I should say. And I call him across the pond. I don't bring him back to the entry point. I call him across. Okay. And so I introduce that again. I introduce that for two or three days. I'm thinking again about the poor amateur that has one awful time. So just walk over to the, where your side pile is across the other way and call the dog to you. Okay. And eventually what will happen is that he's going to turn around. Say you're introducing the left-hand pile on it. He's going to turn around, pick up the bumper, and he's automatically going to be swimming across almost to the other pile on your right-hand side. And now your life is being made a lot easier because otherwise he's going to, you're going to say over, 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 okay? And he's going to beach, and you're going to say, do I burn him? Do I kick him? What do I do? Okay. And then you do nothing. You say, oh shit. And then you've just taught the dog not to bother swimming across. So this way I show as an amateur, I show the dog all the way across the other side. So now I walk him around. I, I walk him around by land. Once he comes out, I send him again. I give him a, a left hand over or I send him straight through maybe. Okay. And I, 
you know, I, or let's say I give him a left hand over, he picks up the bumper and I'm waiting for him on the right hand side. Okay. And I turn around and the dog enters and I walk him around and I send him again and I introduce my tea. Okay. That way. Now don't forget, there's not a whole pile of time spent on my tea pattern because I spent so much time on my tea pattern on land. He knows what an over is. I just, instead of forcing him into going someplace that he doesn't know he's supposed to go. I show him that for a couple of days. Okay. And then I do the same thing on the right hand side. I turn around, I give him a right hand uh, cast. I might end up throwing a bumper there if I have to. And it doesn't mean that it, it has to land in the perfect position on the little pile of bumpers that I have there. And I, get around as quickly as I can. And I call him over to an exit point on the left-hand side where he has already picked up maybe 10 or 15 bumpers and he automatically starts coming across. Okay. And now that is the start of my swim by. Okay. Because I basically as an amateur don't know how to get myself into trouble. And so myself as an amateur, I'm saying, do not try to get yourself into trouble because you don't know how to solve it in many instances. You're going to revert to the collar immediately. Okay. And so now you can turn around and that dog is coming very comfortably out to get out of the water on the other side. Then you can turn around and you can introduce him to let's try it. I'm going to send him. And now I'm going to say, I'm going to say over to the left. And when he's coming back, I'm going to say over to the right. And he's been out at that position that I want him to go 15 times. So there's very little reason why he wouldn't. But I might end up having to walk down the shore a little bit saying over, 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 over. Remember, okay, there's a fine line between a dog trying and a dog not knowing what you want. And it's always better to say, I don't think my dog knows what I want right now. So I'm going to back up and I'm going to receive them over there a couple more times and then I'm going to produce it. So that simplifies the swim by to a great degree. And I can honestly assure you that when I try to teach one of my amateurs how to do it and I tell them to do it that way, if they are in a physical position, condition that they can get around to the other side, okay, not trip and fall and scream and yell, it makes their swim by so great. And by the time that they are finished at the end of a week, two weeks, whatever time it takes, their swim by is just as good as my swim by. Always keeping in mind, I will remind them periodically that dog just gave you a no go. Now, what do you do? Uh, I'm going to burn him until he gets in the water. No, you're not. You're going to step up on him and you're going to say, Here, Nick. You're going to say now to yourself, because I don't want, hear Nick back. You're going to say, hear Nick, okay, on a fairly high level, okay, maybe a five. And and then you're going to sit down and you're going to say to yourself, boy, I hope that my wife has a big gold pot of stew when I get home tonight because I'm going to be really hungry. And then I sit down, I put my hand back in, and I say back. And if he doesn't go again... I do the same thing, the same thing three times, okay? And it didn't work. Now what I do, now I got to get him to go. And I say, God, how do I do that? Now he's, he's given me three times he didn't want to go. And I'm burning him. And now he's, you know, he's really. So what am I going to do? 
I'm going to throw a happy bumper out there in the water for him and say back. Okay. And when he jumps in the water and he takes off, he doesn't get burned. And then he comes back in. And now I say, okay, this time you might go. So I back up, make it so simple. It's unbelievable. He just jumped in the water and he said, God, it didn't get burned. So you're hoping that he's going to say, Hmm, maybe if I jump in the water, I'm not going to get burned. And if that doesn't make sense to somebody, okay, by all means, just go and try it and you'll see how easy it is. But the, the idea of the dog runs out three or four feet in front of you, turns around and doesn't want to get in the water. The first thing that happens, if you notice a lot of people, they put their hand up over their head. The collar is as high over their head as they possibly can do. And they start yelling back, 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 back. And if the dog doesn't go anywhere, the old fashioned field goal sometimes is possessed. Okay. And that doesn't do any good. The only thing that happens there is sometimes you hurt your foot or you fall on your ass because it's totally wet. Okay. So just keep on doing it. And then you, you teach him that he should go. You teach him he should go. You teach him he should go. He still hasn't gone. Throw a bumper in and say back. Keep breaking then, it down. That's right. That's right. Okay. So that is a situation in which you, 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 you get the dog so that he realizes that when he doesn't go, there is a penalty. Okay. And so that in that position, don't worry about pops on water. Most of the time pops on water will come out. Okay. Because when you're training them on a swim by or on doing the T patterns, very short distances. So they get in the habit of maybe getting stopped in the center. But here's another thing. All of a sudden the dog jumps in the water and he stops you know, at the crossover point and he turns around and looks at you and what do you do? You burn him back. No, you don't have to do that. Just say back to him because that dog is smarter than the guy that's doing no doubt trying to train him. He's saying, listen, you stopped me here five times. Why aren't you going to stop me the sixth time? So if you burn him, then he turns around the next time you send him and he doesn't want to stop there. He's really smart because he said, no, the last time I stopped, I got my ass right. So I don't want to get, I don't want to get my ass right again. So I ain't stopping no more. Okay. And that is a situation in which you try to think like a dog, not like a human being, you know, and you say, Hmm, God, he stopped there. So just calmly say back, get him to go across pop popping is generally incurred by pressure. So, it's only in the re- very, very remote situations. I was listening to a, a Pat Burns thing going back about a year ago, Miracle Man. And what I do now for popping, okay, I try to reduce it on land. And what I do, I used to sit there and do it, you know, go back to the tea pattern, burn them and all this and all that. I don't do that anymore. Now what I do is that I take five or six bumpers out with me. I throw them in tall grass and I tell the dog to fetch it up fetch it up and I'll do that for two or three or four days until he's going frantic and he just keeps hunting and hunting and hunting until he finds something. And then I make them a little bit harder to find because I don't put quite as many out, you know? And when I see that the dog will go out there and hunt for 30 or 40 seconds and not bother looking back at me, just looking profusely for a bumper. That's the first thing I do on a chronic popper. I don't put him back on the T pattern and start, burning him or burning him out in the field. That is a no, no in my book. Okay. He doesn't know he's got burned for sit. He got burned for this. Now he's getting burned for go again. So you can take him back on the force go and do it. 
You can take them back on the tee pattern and do it. But it's a very good way of just walking out in some tall grass, throwing five or six bumpers, go get your dog and tell him, fetch it up. And he, that makes him a hell of a good pheasant dog in many instances because you can only throw those things about arm's length. So uh, those are other things. But anyway, getting back onto the water, it's a situation that now, okay, I have finished what I call my swim-by. And I try to put my swim-by, fellas, at about 75%, okay? Um, so the dog is maybe not exiting right at the spot that I want him, but he is going over. He's not looking at me anymore when he does go over. And this is the other thing I forgot to tell you. When the dog is going over and he takes a quick glance on me, I turn my collar down to a low two, okay? And every time he looks at me, I go, Nick, over, Nick, over, Nick. I don't, it, he can hardly feel it, but he knows it's there. And that will come out very, very quickly. I do the same thing, okay, if he starts melding the bumper when he's going over, over, Nick, over, Nick. Now, if you hit him with a high level, he's going to meld it more. You hit him with a very, very low level, most of the time he will stop. And if he's a melder on the bumper or something like that, doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be like that on a bird, but it's a situation in which I try, okay, to every time I see a melding or something, I have that on land. When he comes into me on the line and he's melding the bumper a little bit, I say sit and I nick on a very low level, okay? And after a couple of days, you, you, you will find that you don't have to nick. All you have to do is say sit. And then eventually that rolling of the bumper will go away. And I use hexagon bumpers or as Adam introduced to me a couple of years ago, he gave me some foam bumpers. That's what I call them. Okay. And those things are fantastic. The big white foam. Okay. For getting a dog to hold on to a bumper much better. So those are the things. So those big ones better. That's right. And I, I, I should honestly say, Adam, um, I don't think that I've had a problem with a dog um, when since I started using those things. I don't like the price of them, but I mean to say it's a situation in which they are very, very good. And it's strange to turn around and say, my gosh, uh, I look back, though, 30 years ago when we used to have canvas bumpers, 35 years ago, all we could have were canvas bumpers. We didn't have one-tenth of the melding that we do on these small rubber bumpers that we have nowadays. Okay, but it's not necessarily something that I let go by, but I don't make a big thing out of it. I I try to do it very slowly over a period of time. I have a dog on the truck right now. I have to remind him ever so often when he's coming back from a blind. Okay, and if he picks it up and he starts to mouth it coming back from a mark, the gunner is to come over the walkie talkie or lift his arm. That means he's doing it. And all I do is say here, very low level Nick. And I it's worked. 100% 100% since I started using that about five years ago. And now it's even, well, 100%. It was 95%. Now with those big, heavy bumpers, I very seldom have to bother about anything about it. You know, so uh, people would blame me for the fact that they weren't force fetched properly. Da-da-da-da. I think it's nervousness on the part of some dogs, you know. And so how do you cure nervousness? Burn them more? Doesn't work. That's what we used to do, but it doesn't work. Okay. It does not so, work. I've only had one that I couldn't fix, Lauren. And it was frustrating to me because I I've always been able to fix it, but I could not get this one to 100% go away. Um, yeah, yeah. I had a dog last uh, last summer that I couldn't get it to go away, but he didn't do it on birds. He only did it on bumpers. So I more or less took the easy way out and said <laughs> he didn't do it when I had him, 
um, you know, it's a situation in which uh, it, it it wasn't something that I figured that I should start applying pressure because I was afraid that it might develop into not wanting to release a bird. Right. You know, he might say, oh, boy, I got collar fetched. I, I was force fetched on a collar. So uh, you nick me. <laughs> I'm not opening my mouth. I won't drop it. That's for sure. So I, I had to play with it. It, it. it was aggravating for me when I was standing there but it didn't create any problems when the dog, okay, would go to competitions. So that was it. Okay. So, uh, Jim, I don't know. Do you have a, an opinion on that? The dog that wants to roll bumpers, do you use those big uh, styrofoam ones? I do. And I've switched to a hundred percent. Everything my dog see, I don't even have plastic ones anymore. I've gone to a hundred percent of those foam bumpers. And since I've done that, when I'm doing my tea, and my swim by, I still I use the small foam bumpers, and I, so I I get less, but occasionally I'll get some uh, doing some mouthing like that, that rolling them or carrying them wrong, and and I mm-hmm. the same response. Uh, a lot of times I'll give them a here nick, you know. Right on, uh, right on. Mm-hmm. Here yep. nick, here nick, yep. and mm-hmm. on a on lower level than what they've been working and. And mm-hmm. usually, since I've switched to the foam bumpers, I've not had a problem. I, I got in a bad deal. Uh, I'm a tightwad, so I bought the cheapest plastic bumpers I could find, and I, it created all kinds of issues to the point I just give up <laughs> and just let them do it. You know, it was too much trouble to even mess with. And I can and honestly they, tell you, it's yeah, so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they handled the, the the birds fine. You know, like I never uh-huh. after forcing, yeah. they they never in trouble on birds, but those cheap. You know, six dollar, four dollar yep. plastic bumpers. Yep. You got what you paid for in those. So, yeah, I've gone a hundred percent to the foam bumpers. They're just so much better. Yeah. Well, put it this way: the foam bumpers are, and I, I'm very surprised that there's not more people that aren't manufacturing them. Um, up here, the only ones I've been able to find are the same ones that Adam gave me, and they're thirty dollars a piece. Oh wow! No, and so. Uh, Hmm. A company, you know, a company now. I, I train. Uh, I train a guy named Brooke Richard's dog, and he he works at Higdon uh, Outdoors, and they own a company yeah. called Mo Marsh. Uh, I'll make mm-hmm. sure Adam or me want to get you their information, and they're producing similar material or virtually, you know, pretty much the same material, but they're actually even better because they're the uh, hexagon shape. Oh boy, yeah, they would be yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, they're mm-hmm. they're. And way cheaper than that. So uh, make sure you get that information. We can get you onto those bumpers. And like I said, I've switched yeah, everything. Okay. And they've got orange. orange so they got orange. they got white. they got the black and white. So they got the three-inch and the two-inch. And like I say, even on my uh, – I was using the big Kong bumpers for my tee uh, because of the mm-hmm. mouthing issues. But mm-hmm. now that they've gone to that hexagon, I've gone back to the two-inch, and I've got the orange ones. And, uh, well, orange and white, and they, uh, they, I don't have very little to no mouthing issues on those bumpers. Well, that's, that's good to know. I'll get that. And as I say, uh, I don't imagine they ship to Canada, but when I get down south, I'll be definitely putting an order in onto them. So yes, there's no sir, doubt about mate. it. That's, that's, that's At, very, very good. Yes, sir. Adam mm-hmm. had, has switched to them also, so he can definitely get you the, uh, the information on them. And, and you'll right, think right you'll be very happy with them. Yes, sir. That's hey, great. Yes, sir. Okay. Hey, Lauren. Yeah. Let's um before we wrap this thing up here in just a little bit, let's talk about, you know, when you start de cheating and um as far as what what is your process on that, you know? Is it channel marks, swim to the end of the pond? Kind of enlighten 
me and Jimmy and everyone else on on your process on that. Okay, I, I, I come out of I come out of swim by, okay, or tea or whatever you want to call it, okay. And what I do is that I have a pond, a lake, or whatever, something that can be a fairly good swim. It can be a couple hundred yards, it can be a hundred yards. It doesn't really matter if it's an older dog because I do the same thing when I reintroduce the water that I've been out of for a while. And I will put that dog, I will start that dog, you might say 10 feet from the shore, and I will mark or throw a mark down at the other end of the lake, okay? And he is to swim down the middle of the lake. It, I don't try to challenge him out on a shoreline or anything like that. So after now, I have marked that pile. In a roundabout way, that's what I did. I marked a pile. Some dogs that are really high-powered, I will mark it, turn around, walk back to the truck, have a glass of water, turn around and come back down and say, okay, now we're doing a blind. But I, at nowhere in that is there any cheat. Now, the person that marked the pile for me remains out there, but they're invisible. They're not wearing a white coat. They're, you know, they can be in camouflage or whatever or behind an umbrella. And I will send the dog down through the middle of the pond. And he is totally safe going down through the center of the pond. At no time do I burn. Okay. So all of a sudden he starts deviating to go to shore. I say to the person at the other end, okay, throw him a white bumper. And he'll throw him a white bumper out into the water. And he goes straight to it. And I will do that. I have been doing that now with my young dogs. I got a 13-month-old and I got a 16-month-old. I have been doing that for two and a half weeks. They have not touched land on anything yet it's get in the water and stay in the water and get into the big water now what i used to do is that i used to say oh the water's a little cold but i gotta get in the water because you know all my other friends are in the water and i would cut a little corner of a pond so that basically was teaching the dog get in and get out take a little corner of the pond you're going to be safe you know because if any of them tried to swim down the pond you handle them and you tell them, no no get out get out get out so now I no longer do that. When I take my dogs, my open dogs, and I reintroduce them in April to water, they swam down the center of the lake, of the pond, whatever I have, okay? Then what I can do is that then there can be a point there. Of, I'll maybe change my angle where there is a point, and I will try to get them to swim, stay in the water. Don't touch that point. Don't get out of the water. And again, if they start deking into the point, okay, I don't burn them off a point. I don't start burning them. I have the individual throw a white bumper out so that they have to find it or they're going to see it and they're going to go past that point and stay in the water. And I will repeat that as a memory blind, as a training blind. If I had more ponds, it would be great. But I mean to say I'm limited to three different locations where I can do this. And I can honestly assure you that I am so convinced onto this that it teaches a dog to stay in the water, to get in the big water, that no time in his, you might say, initiation to the new water or to water when he's young, does he have the idea, can I get out, can I get out, can I get out? Because you know darn well, fellas, is that it doesn't take long to get a dog to be land dominant. Okay? And that is how I introduce a dog to water. And then what I will do, he's been down to that location so many times. 
I will start again, stopping him maybe on the water when he goes in. I don't stop him at 75 yards or 80 yards or anything like that. I want to see if my swim by and my tee pattern carried over to the big water because some dogs are intimidated a little bit and I blow and he gave me a very slow sit on the water. Number one, maybe it's because he's been down there five or six or seven times. Mm-hmm. But secondly, maybe he's a little intimidated by the big water. So he has more room to be able to give me that slow sit. Where do I revert back to? I revert back to my bumper and I'll throw a bumper at him. Okay. And I don't stop him further than what I can throw the bumper. I might start him, stop him at 30 feet and throw the bumper at him. Okay. And that is how little amount of pressure that I put on one of these young dogs. Now, an open dog that I take out of that, you don't run into that problem unless he's got a chronic sit problem. Okay. So you don't have it. But the first couple of times that I introduced the open dog to the water or the master dog to the water, it, because it was too cold in the wintertime. And I know in Alabama, we are sometimes off between Christmas and you might say the end of January. I've been down there where we had snow for granted love in the month of March. So you're not in the water at that time. I don't say, let's go, boys. We're going to do a little corner cutting today. I start corner cutting, okay, after I say this dog is willing to swim. And that is basically the way I keep my dogs in the water. And I'll tell you the honest truth, it will, uh, you'll avoid so many problems by giving them a steady diet of staying in the middle of the pond when they're learning to, to, for distance in water throw marks. I don't, I don't turn around and throw marks, uh, two down the shore for them when they're just being introduced to water. I make them swim the whole length of the lake. And I can honestly assure you, I have one place that's about 400 yards and I got a little 13, 14 month old dog right now that'll jump in that water and trot down through the center. Like you wouldn't believe. And people have said to me, Lauren, he's not going to ever want to get on a point. Oh yes, he will. Because he hasn't been burned to get off a point. When I introduce him to points, I will be on a a Chinese drill or a tune-up drill or whatever you want to call it. Some people don't know the difference. If if anybody does, please tell me what they are. And uh, (laughs) then you, (laughs) and then you can start turning around, start turning around and, and, you know, introducing him to get in the water, get out of the water, go over an Island, you know, and get back in the water. But when you first introduce him to water, don't make it mixed up where one day he gets out, one day he doesn't. Put him down through the middle of the pond, okay? Or if you have a channel blind, not everybody has one. You know, and Adam, I think of your place. You know, you stand there by your kennel and you stand up close to the edge of the water and you put him down through that 30-foot wide channel that's right there instead of sending one to the left and making him get in and get out, get in, get out three or four times. Because then he, he can turn around and say, well, I'm tired today, so I think I'll get out. And that's not what you were supposed to do. You were supposed to stay in. Or all of a sudden, I think I'm heading for that point. And how many of us have had dogs that all of a sudden start handling, heading to points? And we stop them, and we give them a big cast to go around the point, okay? And they don't. They get on the point. And what do we do? We burn. Okay, that's a knee-jerk reaction. We burn them, Okay. And it's a situation in which that, in my book, I no longer do it. And I don't say, I used to do it. 
So I know that there's a difference in what I do now and what I used to do in the old days. I used to come home and say to my wife, God, it was a terrible training day. You know, why? Huh? Bowser didn't want to get off the point. Huh? So what'd you do? God damn it. I kicked myself in the ass. Why'd you do that? I forgot to charge my collar last night. You know, those, those types of things. So it's a situ it's a situation in which don't put yourself as an amateur in that predicament. Okay. It's a situation that you can make it so simple. You're in the water. You're safe. Now I have reason to tell you to get back in the water because it's a safe place, you know, and you will find that they, they're very willing to swim. If the person is down at the end of the pond and you say, God, my dog won't swim 400 yards. Just have him keep chucking bumpers, chucking bumpers, chucking bumpers. And he'll eventually get down there. And over a period of time, whether it's one day, two days, three days, four days, he's going to be chucking 400 yards down the end of the pond. And that's going to have a big, big asset onto it because he's not going to be afraid to swim. You know, he's had no pressure in the water. So that is how I introduce dogs to water. That's how I take my master dog, if you want to call it, even though I don't run hunt tests anymore. I just run field trials. That's how I take my field trial champions. Okay. And I do that. I might tighten them up a little bit closer to shore, but I definitely don't put them over a point. The day that the water is warm enough in my thoughts, you are going to swim. You're not going to run. You're going to swim. And so, that's the point. So the the gist of it is, in my mind, and this is the way I look at it, this is the way I approach it in training, is go to the end of the pond, your reward is in the water. Mm-hmm. When I start throwing that's marks. Right. When I start throwing marks. That's right. Cheating marks. Mm-hmm. I don't worry about mm-hmm. chipping corners. Swim to the end of the pond, the bird or the bumper is going to be in the water when they get it. Yeah, That's in, right. In my- in my experience, you don't have to teach most dogs to get out. They they, they come installed <laughs> with hitting that lane. You know, I'm serious. You know, that, that, I know. <laughs> they, yeah. they all will, will readily, most of the time, that, that yeah. comes real easy to them, you know. And you guys are in the same boat as me. When you phone the owner and say, that God darn dog of yours is a terrible cheater, the guy's first thing that comes out of his mouth, he wasn't cheating when I had him. You know, so it's a situation that it's a point that, uh, you know, I have a thing. I have a little cross on my forehead. It says cheat, but that is how I introduce the water. Okay. And I introduce that, as I say, I introduce it as a mark one day, a mark blind, if you want to call it. And I will slowly, depending on the dog that you're saying, boy, this, my dog's a real powerful animal. I'm going to back him up a few feet. I'm going to back him up maybe 30 feet. I'm going to see if he'll hit that water. I'll back him up 40 feet. But if you're out training with a bunch of people and that guy can back his dog up 40 feet, that does not mean, okay, that you have to back your dog up 40 feet. You're not trying to make him do a long entry. You're trying to teach him to stay in the water, sir. So it's a situation in which, um, you know, that's the way that it goes. I may do do 20 dogs and run from a different spot on all 20 of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But up. we're always, yeah. And that, and, and Adam, we learn that. Okay. When we, uh, are pros, we learn not to compete. We learn not to compare. Okay. Uh, however, the more, and I don't blame amateurs for being like that because that's the reason why you have some fantastic football players and fantastic baseball players because they're very competitive 
And competitiveness sometimes comes out that they want to be able to show the people that their dog is as good as the next guy's dog. But the thing of it is, it's not them. It's a dog you're dealing with. It's not your arm for football. It's not your arm for baseball. Okay. It's a dog you're dealing with and he's not attached to your body and he's not attached to your brain. So you have to learn it. My dog. No, I'm going to start him up a little closer now. Don't leave him up closer. Eventually when he starts getting very efficient at, at 10 feet or 20 feet, then you can back him up 30 feet or 40 feet. Okay. And in that situation, then you can go to, then you can go to sometimes to the de-cheat situation. Okay. Where you can say, Hmm, I'm going to tuck him a little bit close to shore. And this 13 month old, this pippy dog that I have, or uh, uh, young black dog that I have right now, um, I can park him maybe 10 feet off a straight shoreline. And he doesn't even look at the shore. He just motors on down through. And when somebody says to me, well, yeah, but he'll never want to get out of the water again. Wouldn't that be nice? You know, but don't worry. You take your chances don't worry. with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're darn right. I've never, I've never had one that never wanted to get out of the water. I can tell you that. So those, that's how I introduce it. Keep it, keep it stupid, simple, as we say, you know, yes, don't sir. get fancy when you first start off. Go ahead, guy. Hey, listen, I was going to just make a, uh, just to reiterate on a point you made and, and, and make sure people understand this. And it's something that all of us have, have done. Like me and Adam train together. Adam's got fantastic dogs or me and Tyler or whoever, you know, we're not trying to win a training day. You know, we do what our dogs are capable of doing and, and hope, you know, we're comparing of course, you know, but I have amateurs that come and train with me and I know they're wanting to see how they stack up against mine. And I try to tell them, it's like, Hey, you know, your dog has, if you've been running up there, run up there, you know, don't, you don't have to stand if I'm running my master crew and I'm 80 or 90 yards off the water, you, you don't have to do that too, you know, and, and they get themselves in a bad position, you know, uh, and, and cause a bigger problem than what they have because they want to try to do the same thing we're doing and haven't done that yet. I'm just making sure people understood mm-hmm. that, what you were saying, how, how I think that how important that is, especially with training groups. Mm-hmm. No, those are, those are things that it's great, you know, turn around and train with Adam. And all of a sudden I see that, gee, his dogs are really doing this particular thing. Very easy. The thing that I want to know from Adam is how did he go about doing it? And give me an honest answer. Or if my dogs are doing something that are maybe that he's saying, because you don't have to tell him your dog is good. He can see that the dog is maybe doing something very good. It's a situation in which, Lauren, um, what do you do to get your dogs off a point? And I will tell him what I do to get my dogs off a point. Or it could be vice versa. Adam, every one of your dogs come flying off that point. What do you do? And that's how you learn. And even though I am twice the age of you fellas, it's a situation in which I'm always willing to learn. Okay. And that you never want to stop because things have become so good. One little thing that I have uh, an antidote onto that is that I can remember back in the eighties, there was a fellow, maybe you've heard of him before. was a guy by the name of Mike Lardy. Okay. And I've Mike never, Lardy. I've used never to, heard of him. Yeah. Mike Lardy used to come, used to come to Canada. And at that particular time, I had a Canadian pro handling my dog and he was a a derby dog. But anyway, I used to go over because Mike Lardy had a truck with, he could carry dogs and everything like that. And he was dressed like a king man. And I wanted to go up and talk to Mr. Lardy, but I was afraid to, because I didn't know what questions to ask him. But anyway, 
my pro used to say, and he'd come up here and he'd bring eight dogs and he used to qualify the, in those days it was a double open and he'd qualify four dogs the first day and four dogs the next day. And my pro used to say, the reason why he qualifies all his dogs is because he has so many dogs and all of his clients are rich and they only have very, very good dogs. And he would come up two weekends a year. Okay. And that was it. And it, those trials, I used to go to those trials just so I could see them. And it was a situation that I thought that for a thousand years, I thought, Oh, Mike Lardy, he's better than we are because he has rich clients. Hmm. And I used to tell people that when they used to say, well, Mike Lardy, it must be something special about him. And I turned around and I believed that for two or three years that it was because he had rich clients that his dogs were good. The only thing that now I realize is that Mike Lardy was using methods that we're using today, but he was using them back in the eighties. And that is one thing that I will always, always remember that man knew or caught on very, very quickly. And I had a couple of instances where I used to, there was a chap by the name of Rex Carr that everybody knows too. Okay. The guru of the training world. And I know three different people that all spent a week or two weeks with Rex Carr. And they all came back with a totally, totally different impression. And I used to criticize them for that. And I used to say, what the hell? Didn't you learn anything? Rex Carr, what did he do? Turn his hat around every second day or something like that? No, that wasn't it. When I used to go out, I went out training with an individual when I, would, I had a junior dog that ended up with 40 points. It just gives you an idea how good a dog he was. And by the time he was six, he was, you know, literally, he didn't, he wasn't actually very good. And I went out training with a fella, he's deceased today, and I was really impressed with him. He had a dog, he tried to do a blind with him. And the dog was giving him a little bit of a, a, a trouble. And he brought the dog back in, and he had what we called a quirk in those days. Okay, it was a whip. And he had a little pole on his truck. And I can say this is going back 40 years ago now, 35, 40 years ago. And he strung a dog up, and he whipped him, and he brought him down. And the dog lined the blind. Man, and I'm standing there. Hmm, boy, oh boy. I had a golden retriever in those days. That is something. So I get home, my wife says, so did you learn anything? Yep, I did. She says, well, what are you going to do about it? I thought I got to go buy a pole for my truck. <laughs> that is basically the thing that's making these dogs good. You know, and I believe that because I was so competitive. It was unbelievable. You know, all of the stuff of, of that. I've lived through that era. I've lived through the medium things. I've lived through trying to get the dog to pop so that I could teach him that he wasn't supposed to pop. And now I look back at that and I say, my God, that was so stupid. So stupid. But I mean to say, I did it for years, you know, and I ran when I got out of the hunt test world and the HRC world and stuff like that and decided to go into hunt uh, into field trials. I think I spent about five years before I won a trial, finally running open. And it was a situation that I look back at it now and man, I had some good dogs. It was me that didn't really do the, the right thing, you know, and that is the point. And I, I dare say that every one of these people today have all kinds of videos that they can watch, but you still have to have a little bit of compassion. You have to be energetic and you have to know how to get yourself into trouble. And when a guy says to me, I don't know how to get myself into trouble. I said, well, then don't get yourself into trouble. Take the easy way out. Do it systematically. 
you know, if you, ha- if you think that your dog has got a little bit of prey drive and wants to work, okay, and all of a sudden you start doing things that this dog is not capable of doing and you get yourself into trouble, it doesn't work, okay? And that is, that is the gospel truth. I used to get myself into trouble, and the first thing I reverted to was it was a dog's fault. Yep. It was never my fault. Nowadays, when I get myself into trouble, okay, and I still can, okay, I can honestly tell you, I start saying to myself, what did I do wrong? And boy, it sure makes my day a heck of a lot better. You know, instead of coming home, cursing that dog, you know, cold, it, it just, that's the way we are. And I don't blame people for being like that because I'd have to blame myself. I was very competitive, but I'm willing to learn. And any of your people listening to this podcast, if they have a, a way that they would like to interject and say, gee, and I, I do it, I do this, but I also do this by all means, guys, tell other people or tell me so that I can copy. If you've got a better, a method that's better than mine, I am totally willing to listen to you, you know? So that's, that's always uh, that's my me. thing, you know? Always oh, it's, me it's, it's, so it's a, it's a point that I, I wish I was, uh, I, I wish I was starting out and had the same attitude as what I have now. You know, I, I work hard. I work every day, six days a week, uh, and you know, weather permitting. And it's a situation that I wish that I had not tried to make these dogs do things that they hadn't been shown how to do or give them a fair break anyway. And we all do it. So yes. those are the things. So, you know, uh, there's, there's so many other things, you know, in the training. And again, I, I go off and off and off onto it cause I love to talk dogs and stuff like that. But there's so many things that I used to get myself into trouble with that. I try to tell people today, don't get yourself in that kind of trouble. You know, there are ways of getting around it so that you don't. And if you do, back up and go forward again and back up a little bit more, you know, jump work and stuff like that. My God, that was, you know, that, that was a, a, a thing that I hated the poison bird drill. I hated it. You know, it was a situation. How come some guys can make that drill look so easy and I have such a hard time. And now I realize how I was doing it totally wrong, becoming frustrated, you know, and, that is something that I try not to do now, you know, so it's a situation that we're all like that. So it's still anyway, I'm sorry to. I took up so much of your time, you know, but, um, uh, it's, uh, I, I, I hope that some people listening to this thing will, uh, by all means, you know, take under consideration some of the things I've said. And if they don't understand it, they need a little bit more of an explanation or something like that. Um, God, they can always text me. You know, and uh, I will try to, if they're having a problem, or Adam, you do it almost identically to me. And I presume that if you train with Jimmy, you, Jimmy does a lot of the same stuff. You've let, you, you feed off one another. And uh, that's, that's exactly what I would do. If I was training with you guys, I'd feed off you. Uh, I still remember J.D. Babb, you know, with that comment about uh, not worrying about the 10 feet of water, worry more about the 300-yard retired gun. And, uh, boy, have I ever taken that into consideration? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My God, you know, calling your dog back five times on a long 300 yard retired gun because he didn't take a, a little piece of water that was four feet wide in front of you, you know? And, uh, you know, at that time I didn't know, really know what to answer. I'd more like maybe I, at one time I thought, Oh yeah, okay, well you do it your way. I'll do it. But the more I thought about it on the way home, I thought, God, isn't that true? 
How many trials would you lose by missing four feet of water, 10 feet out, but pounding the retired gun is to, compared to the guy that went through the, the water. And when you're having your conversation and having your beer at the end of the day, do the guy say, well, I didn't find a retired gun, but boy, did my dog ever take that little 10 foot piece of water. <laughs> <laughs> and the dog that's worried about taking that little piece of water is not going to find that long bird. He's going to, and, he, and he's too worried about that I, and not where that bird is. And Adam, and, and that is one little instance, which you're so perfect on, but there's so many other situations that relate to that same type of a situation. It's the same thing. You know, the dog not knowing whether he should get in or get out or get in and get out. And the first thing you know, the young puppy that you, oh, well, I'm going to show him how to get off a point or something like that. It's a situation in which he doesn't know. You do, but he doesn't. And it's a situation in which I just don't put a young dog into that type of a situation. Or when I reintroduce the water, you know, the open dogs, I'll say, I'll do maybe a whole week. It makes it easy because you don't have to really do much thinking. You just say, oh, well, there's big water. I'll run it, you know. So get in the water, stay in the water. And if one of the big dogs decide that you're going to turn me off or something like that and say, no, I don't want to do it your way, boy, it's pretty darn clear that you are told to stay in the middle of that pond. Right. And then you have a reason to explain to them in one way or another that ignore you and head for land. You know, that's the point. And if a dog will swim for an eternity, you know, I can honestly say that those are the types of things that you want in a big, big test. Get in the water and stay in the water. Go, you know? the, go to the end of the pond and, and, and get the bird. Just like in the field, in the field trial thing is go to the end of the field to the tree line yep. if it's possible, you know, <laughs> so those yeah, are the yeah. things. So, yep. So anyway, onto that, uh, when is your uh, podcast? Could you tell me when is it broadcast, Adam? Um, I will hook this thing up to the computer and load it tonight, hopefully. And then tonight is Wednesday yeah. and hopefully tomorrow morning it will be available. Okay. So. Okay, good enough. Um, we got good enough. we got a lot of good reviews from um, last week when you were on, and I had guys call and or, or send messages and you know tell me how good it was. One guy even said that you know he wished it could have never ended. He wanted to keep going. So um, yeah, how about that? Man? And I got I got the same response. Like even uh, I was in Michigan running, I had several guys tell me they enjoyed they, what what uh, Mr. Ron, what a lot of guys are doing on the way to the hunt test. Uh, mm -hmm. they'll, they're listening on the road they're, they're it's, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so wherever Adam and I end up for the weekend, a lot of people will bring it up to us, you know, that they heard the latest one, you know, and excited about who's next. But as far as information on dog training, you've done a fantastic job for us and greatly appreciate it. I've enjoyed it. Like I say last week, I got to listen to it like everybody else. So I've truly mm -hmm. enjoyed it. Thank you very much for your time. Well, you guys are welcome. As I say, I enjoy it. I try to, I try to make it a little easier for the average amateur, you know, that, uh, that sometimes is sitting there scratching his head and say, gee, I don't really know what to do next or something like that. So, uh, that's always and any time, you know, there's, there's so many subjects about dog training that we don't understand because we have never been able to sit down with somebody and have it explained. And if you don't agree, Tell me why you don't agree. And I will try and say to you, okay, you don't agree because of this, but that's not basically what I meant. 
I meant, you know, if somebody, and I've had people say to me, yeah, but Lauren, I want my dog to get up on a point and get off a point. Well, that's the next step, guy. Don't tell him, don't put him in grade five and then bring him back to grade one. Put him in grade one, grade two, grade three, grade four, grade five. Yeah, but he, you know, it's going to take me an eternity. Yep. It might take you a little bit longer, but you're going to see it's going to go a lot smoother once he starts to have a little bit of confidence, you know. So those are all things that the thing. And, you know, I'd love to, if somebody has a different way that they do swim by or they have a different uh, thing that's been very successful to them, by all means, man, I want to hear about it. You know, and not just not to ridicule. I want to hear about it because maybe they got a better my, way than mine. You know, uh, trying to find a good swim by pond is is one of my biggest things. Uh, and you know, um, some people maybe the bumper throwing deal and everything. I thought about that one day when my, you know, young daughter threw a bumper in behind the dog, and I, I was having an awful time on a, uh, trying to get the dog to stop. And she, dad, I'm going to help. And she threw a bumper in for him. And I gave her hell for doing that. You know, four-year-old kid, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) Like this. And then I thought about it. My God, and now I've adapted it. You know, and this this is a situation in which uh, that's how I was introduced to it. And now I know there's other people that do it that were a lot smarter than me that maybe thought about it themselves. Or they heard that there's somebody in Canada that does that to get his dog stopped. Cause I tell everybody, if you are having a problem to get a dog stopped, you throw a bumper at him. And as Adam said, well, what happens if it's not quite, it doesn't matter. Once he knows that a bumper is going to be coming out, he's going to be spinning around there and his eyeballs are going to be coming right out of his head. Okay. Yeah. And I can guarantee you that it works 90. If the dog's got any initiative, the dog is going to work 99.9% of the time. Okay. So, but anyway, fellas, I think we've overshot our hour, haven't we? Oh, wait, uh, wait an hour and I'll keep, I'll keep, I'll keep going for another hour if you want. <laughs> I know I, I got some ridicule for stopping let, you last time, Lord. So let, uh, yeah, listen, we're, we're going to do this again. I mean, I, 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 I don't think this is the end. I think in my opinion, okay. this is the beginning. If, if you're good with that, we, we'll definitely want to do that again. Yeah. And the other yes. thing of it is too, Adam, before I let you, let you go, I'm in the market. I'm trying to, I have a, a my dog truck and it's uh well, 10 years old and I'm looking to buy a Chev cabin chassis, brand new. Okay. And you, your advertiser is Stillman's in Mississippi. Sullivan's. Sullivan's. Sullivan okay. Motors. And well, I get down there, maybe you can, we can go over there and have a coffee with one of the guys over there Absolutely. because, um, that that is a situation that uh, they are, uh, are. They're a pretty big dealer, are they? Oh yeah, they they are, and they're they're just great guys. Is number one thing. Great family and good people that will take good care of you. Okay, well that's exactly what I'd be looking for if I can ever permit to give back into the states. Okay, when that, the first time I heard that they were one of your sponsors and stuff like that, I thought, my God, that'd be great. There's nobody. Adam wouldn't be playing around with anybody nickel and dime guy. So I'm glad, but maybe what we could do some Saturday or someday when it's raining, maybe we could drive over there and take a look at what they got. Absolutely. I'd like a Chevy. I'd like a Chevy with a big engine. I don't want to go diesel anymore because diesel fuel up here is like 25 cents a gallon more than gas because you know, we got to save the planet. 
<laughs> there ain't no way you're going to spend all that money you got, Lauren. You might as well just spend it while you're here, bud. <laughs> hey, hey, Lauren, um, the girls didn't get to see you this year, and they walked in here so I could tell them good night, but they want to say hello to you if that's okay. Okay. You go. That's that's great. Hi, Mr. Lauren. Wow. <laughs> Which one was that, Adam? It's Marley. That's the oldest one. The oldest one? Yes, sir. The oh, my God. Oh, the hard worker, the good looker. Yeah. The one that looks like the one that looks like your wife. Good. Thankful for me, both of them look like my wife. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> glad you, I'm glad. I'm glad that you're doing well, Adam. I tell you the honest truth. You know, I, I'm glad. And Jimmy, I've heard very good things about you, and I'm very anxious to meet you in person. Yes, sir. You know, when you, when you get sure back we'd down have here, a good time. Yeah. Oh, yes, sir. When you when you get back down here, we'll we'll definitely make plans. I'd love to come down and train with you or on your way down maybe you could come this way and stop training with me a few days that would be fantastic guy that would be fantastic yes, you'd, be, you'd okay. always be welcome yes sir okay great all right guys so do you want to you want to finish that off hey. right now go ahead mm-hmm. hey lauren so, cassie uh, wants to say a, hey you can you hear us okay oh yeah okay honey go ahead hey hi how are you good <laughs> Do they have do they have boyfriends yet, the Adam? No boyfriends. No boyfriends. Oh, you're still beating them off with a stick, eh? That's right. So, that's right. That's right. And, and, that'll, anyway, that'll happen uh, soon enough, huh? Oh, oh, oh boy, yeah. Oh, oh golly. <laughs> well, Lauren, we yeah, can't yeah. we can't tell you how much we appreciate you coming on with us again, but everybody was so excited about it and, and, and Jimmy really hated that he missed. So he's like, let's just get Lauren on again. I was like, I'm sure Lauren would love to. He loves to talk about the dogs. Yeah. yeah. And like I so say, much, I, we'll, we'll definitely do this again. If, if Mr. Lauren, you have time to do that, we can, we'll just, we'll just right know on. for sure. This will happen for sure again, right on. maybe again. So perfect. Okay. Perfect. Yes. And as, as they say, if anybody, Adam, you've got my phone number. If somebody happened to get in touch with you or something didn't understand something or you know, you, if you want to just tell them to give me a buzz and I'll try and help them out on the phone or you help them out or Jimmy help them out or something like that. Because, um, I'd like to see everybody with a, with a master hunting dog or a field trial champion. And then it would make it so much easier. You know, it's a situation yes. that, uh, it is, it's easy to attain if you have a good dog. Okay. And that is the point. And there's some very, very little easy things to be able to get out of, but give somebody a dog that's got a little bit of prey drive and stuff like that. And I used to say, Oh no, he's too high. Yeah, he's too high, but I'm going to put an awful pile of obedience into that dog in the backyard, you know, down in the basement this winter, walking around the basement, you know, and don't, and it's, it's paid off. It's paid off uh, because I've done a lot of push and pull and stuff like that. And uh, I come to the line now and if a dog tries to, jump onto the mat two feet before I do. I make him run off the back part of the mat. Uh, I will come up to the line. I'll push and pull on purpose, even though that I really don't have to and stuff like that. And so when the client phones me and says, well, what did you do with my dog today? Well, I did some obedience. I did some push and pull. I threw a mark and I also did a blind. The guy said, no wonder it takes you 10 hours a day. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, all right, guys. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Okay. Um, tons of okay, fun. Okay, guys. Absolutely. So uh, we'll talk. We'll t- we'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Take it easy. Yes, sir. Okay. Out, guys. Bye bye. See ya.